Hello, I'm Carrie. I'm Moses. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Meadowcast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with Anna Lee Leptison. She is the Canadian director of the Anabaptist Worship Network, a PhD student, and sat on the Voices Together committee, amongst many other things. Thanks for joining us as we explore music and worship and learn about the new hymnal, Voices Together. All right, so today Annalie is with us, and um, I think what she's really going to do for us is pull back the curtain kind of on, like, what making a hymnal looks like. Uh, And for me, it's a little bit like um, a few years ago, the panel on my car door came off on the highway and then all of a sudden I could see like all these little mechanisms that make the window go up and down and it was like super fascinating something I never really thought about all the things that it takes to put my window up and down in my car and so I feel a little bit like that with the hymnal I have I just have no idea how one is made how one comes to be and so Hold Ryan on, wait, and Carrie. Moses <laughs> yeah and your panel came off on the highway and your first thought was not how did the panel come off but you're fascinated by what's underneath well i kind of knew it was a little bit loose but i had been reassured it would not it would not come off but it, it did unfortunately i love this this image of carrie looking at her wrecked car door and philosophizing down the highway well, there's a little more to it. There was actually a number of youth from the church in the car at the time, which was fortunate and unfortunate. Well, so as that happened, you turned to the youth and said, let me tell you a lesson about yep. <laughs> revelation. This reminds me of how hymnals about are made. About the innards. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> we all had a moment. But but really, it is interesting when you get to kind of see, see behind what has gone on to create something. Um, and so Ryan and Moses, like, where are you guys at with hymnals in your church or this Voices Together book that was released not too long ago? Well, here in Alberta, we've been using them in our church for, um, I'm going to guess, the better part of three months. Um, and it, it's been a really great addition to our church's worshiping life. Um, I've heard tons of affirmation about um, some of the new songs and specifically a lot of the worship resources. Our worship leaders have appreciated those. And some questions too. I mean, why did they change this? Why did they change that? And um, there's always going to be those questions that come with any new um, resource like this. But I would say on balance, it's been a really delightful addition to our church's worshiping life. For us, we've been, um, uh, well, I grew up kind of not really singing from hymnals, just a little bit. And so coming to this church, I was immersed more into the hymnals. But we've got in our church uh, a bunch of the old stuff. So we, we've got the blue um, hymnal worship book. We still have the, the old red Mennonite hymnal. We've got the green sing the journey. So all these are still in our pews. And and when the new voices together was kind of being launched, I, I saw that and thought, oh, this would be so exciting if we could get our hands on this new resource. But we're not there yet. Seeing as you still have the red, I think that that is very understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we currently in our sanctuary we have the blue one and we have the Mennonite World Conference supplement, and we have the purple one which I think is sing the story. Yeah. Um. But we're we're still working about out how and when um the new hymnal would come into our sanctuary. So we'll we'll see how that goes. And Annalie will speak a little bit with us about how important hymnals are, how important worship and music. I mean, it really is expression of our faith of God. It helps people connect with God in a way that words don't always when paired with music. It's very powerful. Like, how have you guys experienced music to influence or affect your faith or your, your faith formation? I kind of grew up as a bit of a hybrid with um, hymnals in the pew and then kind of 
my earliest impressions were that those were really kind of terrible songs that old people sang that I didn't like. And um, and I was always pushing pushing us to get like more contemporary. That was the push when I was a teenager in church, and I was in a worship band, and I played guitar, and we 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 introduced all these awesome new songs, which looking back I'm, I kind of cringe about. But um, and then later on, I I sort of as I grew up and my my taste maybe matured a bit, I, I went back to appreciating some of these older older more more solid hymns solid musically and solid theologically in ways that a lot of the stuff that I was interested in as a teenager just didn't really have that some of those components to them so it's I, I, I doubt my trajectory is is a unusual or atypical but I've kind of gone from hymns away from them back to them and I've and but throughout music has been an important part of how how I express how we express um our faith and our convictions about who God is and about what our what our calling is in the world. Yeah, I, I like what you say there about the the expression of worship uh, in music. For me, it's also about formation. And you know, I growing up, I I kind of had this sense that worship was all about me and my connection with God. And the more emotional it could be, like then the more in tune I am with God, right? So then I would just chase after those experiences. So the the bigger the church, the the louder the music, the more professional, the better lights, the better smoke machine, you know, then I it's like, wow, oh, now I'm machine. really connected to God. Yeah, I love that, I love you know. That. <laughs> we never went quite that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but it got to a point I I think, you know, after you know, I was probably in my 20s already where where that kind of chasing after that spiritual high or needing that in order to feel like I'm worshiping started to feel emptier and emptier and and really starting to think, okay, some of the, the songs that we would sing in those contexts were all about me and I and, and it wasn't so much about we and it wasn't so much about who God is. It was more about me and my expression of, you know, love for God or worship for God. Um and I guess I got to kind of a point where I was searching for something a little more deeper, more rooted, more grounded. So so I think similarly to you, Ryan, I, I kind of went back to some of the, the, the songs, and not even like old songs, but songs that are speak more about who, you know, God is and, and what what is it that we believe about God. I, I relate to both of you. Like I grew up in a church where we sang hymns and I remember a point in my teenage years, like really pushing on the church and the youth pastor and kind of like, yeah, like, like why can't we sing these more contemporary songs? Why can't we have a worship band? And that did lead to the forming of a very terrible youth worship band at one point. And I was the drummer. I'll never touch oh, a drum set again. Wow. Uh, I wouldn't put that out there. I, I think I you just did. restricting myself. <laughs> I restrict myself to only the djembe drum now. My church enjoys my djembe drum playing. My, you know, whole drum kit set playing is very awful. You could ask my home church. Um, But it was like this push, and they did allow us to do it. I don't think it was very good, but you love seeing young people up there. Um, But I, I didn't really move away from that. Like, I feel like I'm completely in love with the hymns and I'm completely in love with contemporary worship. Like, you know, I was a Starfield, Reliant yeah. K fangirl yeah. kind of idea, like had all the t-shirts, went to all the local cons, Christian concerts. And uh, I attended a lot, I was able to attend a lot of different youth groups on and off that did that like contemporary worship. And I found it just like 
really connected with me, but I was also very bound to, like, the hymnal. So in a way, like, you know, I wanted to, like, raise my hand in worship, but, like, I couldn't. Like, I couldn't quite get my arm there. Like, I was too... I was so used to being, like, a little more stoic. Um, yeah. I guess that's something I still struggle with now. But um, one thing I've always appreciated is going to the larger Mennonite conferences and gatherings because I feel like they do strike a pretty good way of, you know, adding guitar to a hymn or um, doing some contemporary... and. And hymnals, that's where I really find myself at home when it's like a mix. I just absolutely love it. One thing I've noticed with, 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 with having young adult kids now who are both very musical, much more musical than I am, and watching them find their way in the life of the, the church and worship and music and is that they are sort of reproducing that same trajectory that most of us have described here. Um, they, they like some of the old hymns, but they also like, I mean, they're, they're drawn to some of the Hillsong stuff and they're, and they're drawn to some of the... The, the stuff that I, I read the lyrics and I'm kind of like, eesh. But um, I think that what what draws them is kind of the emotional immediacy of it. Like it's just, it, it, it and I think I, what you just said, Carrie, about some of these larger events where, where this perfect or at least really good balance is struck between theological vibrancy and solidity and, and kind of this emotional immediacy that, that, that I think it speaks to us as whole people. It's really awesome. Today we have Annalie Leptisen with us. She's someone I actually happen to know, and I got to be her roommate for some of her time on the Voices Together hymnal, so I have a small idea of what it takes to make a hymnal, how much work and time and odd hours it takes, but I'm so excited for Annalie to tell us all uh, what goes into being on a committee to make a new hymnal, and she's going to share that with us now. I don't know that anyone fully kind of could grasp what all goes into making a hymnal when we all signed signed up to be on it or like accepted our offers to be on the committee. Um, so lots of spreadsheets, tons of emails, Zoom meetings. Um, and like Gary mentioned, a lot of them at kind of weird hours of the day, especially with some of the um, popular idioms committee. And we would often meet till after midnight on Zoom. Um, just doing our work because people had nine to five jobs and so um, some of us would meet during the day and then others of us it would be evening meetings um, and the editors as well spent all there were weeks when they just basically lived on zoom with each other I wasn't an editor for the collection and they really carried um, a, a massive amount of the work um, and so we started our process by um, providing one to five star ratings of material that was in what we call the trilogy that's like insider lingo for you which is hymnal worship book sing the journey and sing the story and so we all before we even met we all went through all of those songs um, and gave everything a star rating and then star ratings kind of been a way became a way for us to keep track of what would be going into the collection so um, we opened a submissions portal um, and got over 2,000 submissions from that. And then each of our committees, the text committee, tune committee, worship resources committee, um, intercultural worship committee, popular idioms committee. We also screened other collections and other kind of albums and other ways of um, finding music and resources. And so in total, that was over 10,000 pieces. So there's a massive amount of information to try to kind of contain and sort through. I'm curious, Annalie, when you talk about the star ratings for the, for, for the songs in the trilogy, was that like were, were your ratings based on music theology both yeah great question so there was always room to add comments and so um you could provide a rating for the piece as a whole if the text and the tune really worked well together and i thought this piece was just totally awesome no changes needed i could give it five stars if i thought the text is awesome i love the text the tune 
is, you know, doesn't have life anymore, then I could give the text five stars and the tune one star or vice versa, um, or some other kind of recommendation based off of that. And so there was definitely ways to work with um, this needs changing, this needs updating, let's separate them or let's keep them together. Um, Ways to kind of kind of look at different pieces while giving a whole rating. I, I was I was thinking like, okay, you're talking about all this time being put into making a new hymnal. It's like, why on earth do we need a new hymnal? We have the blue one. We have the sing the journey story. All like all these ones. Like, why do we need one? And then you say, well, what if a tune doesn't have life anymore? What does that mean? How does a, a tune or a text lose its life? Well, I think, you know, our hymnals and our congregational song is always a reflection of the culture that we're part of. Um, and I think people often carry anxiety that this new hymnal is more culturally bound than other ones. But, you know, church music in the 1800s or 1700s was influenced by operatic music, which was the big cultural movement. Like we're always influenced by whatever is happening um, musically or theologically um, kind of outside of the church. And so our music changes um, and what there's some kinds of music that hold their own if they're if they're kind of um, they can be steady and they can last a long time. Um, and they're kind of like the bread and butter. But then there's also pieces that are emerging that can be part of that bread and butter, too, that came out since 1992 and we're still singing um, or or yeah, so pieces that that just ran a good course and didn't quite um, congregations aren't singing them anymore. And we had some data on what what communities were singing and were able to see, you know, this one, this one really spoke into a certain time. Um, and now now it's time has come and maybe it's not it's not speaking in the same way anymore. But here's a new piece um, that really is speaking speaking to right now. So we were always looking at longevity. We didn't want to include um, material that that was super 2020, you know, especially I recall with worship resources, there's some ways of talking that are, are pretty like 2018 to 2021. And I feel like in 2022, we're not going to be talking like that anymore. Um, and so we didn't want material like that. We wanted material that could really stand its own. But the other thing to, to kind of be aware of is from you know, so we have a 1992 hymnal worship book. And then before that, we had the 1969 hymnal. Um, and the committee took about half of the 1969 hymnal into the 1992 hymnal. And then we took about half of the 1992 hymnal into the 2020 hymnal. Uh, and so we're always, we're never bringing in only new material. We're always bringing in about half new material and then half that's just kind of consistent and the same and we know. So I think, I mean, one of the things I'm aware of is that a hymnal is a theological book. It's a theological document. Um, and when we look at it, we're looking at balance and complexities and nuances within it holding its own. Um, and so um, one, you know, we're adapting and we're updating. We updated a lot of language and voices together, just like the 1992 committee did. Um, and so by reclaiming and updating and adapting, we're making it um, appropriate for our context that we're in while also respecting where we came from. And if we only ever left things, uh, you know, if, so there was a 1927, I believe, Midnight Hymnal. Uh, and if we if we were always kind of like, well, it's in that hymnal um, and we're always just going to keep adding to it, but we're just going to leave that one in that hymnal. Um, I think we'd miss out on the opportunity to reclaim material and to kind of sift through and figure out what the best part is. Um, and so part of this work is saying like, you're not, there's no way any congregation is singing everything in the blue hymnal. It's taking up your pew space. Let's figure out what the top material from that was, the material that's really important to us, and let's add it along with some new stuff so that we're doing the work 
almost for you of figuring out what we want to be singing so that you're not going through multiple collections in your pews. Um, so it's a mixture of kind of practicality, but also then just realizing that this book makes a statement on the whole, and we want to be able to stand behind what that statement is, which will include historical and new material. I'm curious now, like just for fun, what's like one song that you're like, you know, you kind of had some tears about not making it and voices together. And what's one song that you were like, good riddance, I never want to see you again. That's awesome. Okay, my one song that I wish was in um, is not going to be as fun. There was nothing from to use the word I used before, the trilogy that I like really, really lamented not having. Um, but one song from outside that I really wanted was a piece called Your Labor Is Not In Vain by Porter's Gate. Um, Porter's Gate is this really, really cool um, collective ensemble that does contemporary worship music that speaks to important themes like lament and justice. Um, and our relationships with our neighbors and our relationship with work. Uh, and so if you haven't checked them out before, definitely check out Porter's Gate. Um, they're really incredible. And they have a song called Your Labor is Not in Vain. And I just found it so, um, it's spoken to me at various points over the last few years when we've had kind of hard losses around um, when we work for something and we don't get it. Um, and I think that's, especially as we encounter all of this work for justice, there's times when it feels like, we're not getting what we're working for. And so this song that just says your labor is not in vain. Um, and so go check that song out. And maybe you'll agree with me that it would have been an awesome contribution to Voices Together. Although we have amazing stuff by Porter's Gate too. And I, I totally stand by our decision not to include it. Um, but that's one that I would include. I don't have like a clear one that I would not include. Um, but there were a lot of kind of old texts with old tunes with like lyrics. I'm not sure even you know, the most text thinking people in our group understood, um, that just didn't speak to, they, they did not have life to use what we talked about before. Uh, and so there were a couple of those that I was pretty happy to see, um, go just so that they could make space for other important, important texts. So, um, it's been good to be able to balance some of those historical voices, um, so that we don't have so much Isaac Watts or so much, you know, Charles Wesley or whoever. Like I was reading through some of the Canadian Midnight articles and Voices Together, and they were talking about generational shifts that happen in worship. And so can you tell us about like that and how it affected the making of this hymnal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the interesting kind of, I think, myths, this is kind of a weird way to start answering the question, but myths around generational shifts is like the youth like this new contemporary worship music and the old people just want to sing hymns. Um, and we have these kind of ideas about about generational shifts that are pretty like stereotypical, I would say. Um, and in our work, we found, I remember hearing someone say, all the people I know who are leading contemporary worship music are over 50. Um, and there's a lot of older people who are so excited about the new material that's emerging. And so um, definitely there are generational shifts, but I don't think it necessarily has to do with musical style. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with our theology. Um, and, and um, you know, as we've had so many interesting conversations about Black Lives Matter and white supremacy and all sorts of racial tensions, we see generational um, shifts in how people respond to that, right? There's there's just differences in theology and values based on your generation. And that, that's a blanket statement. I mean, there's always exceptions to that. But I think one of the generational shifts is language. Um, and, and again, so many exceptions to the rule. Like, that's the hard thing about summarizing a whole generation. Um, but changes in language... Um, changes in um, kind of 
orders of worship, who's leading worship. Um, you know, like I think, I think, I always think the 80s and 90s must have been such an exciting time to be like a young Mennonite. My parents were in seminary then and it sounds just so fun. Like the world was just opening up to new imagery. You know, we were starting to refer, um, oh God, great womb of wondrous love in 1992, like referring to God as a woman. Like there was all these exciting shifts taking place. Um, And now we're moving beyond that too and saying like, that was amazing. There's also more complexity to it. We don't only want to refer to God as a womb that isn't respectful of the complexity of women's bodies and women's roles in the world um and so we we take what we had and then we go one step deeper um and i think that's part of the generational shift so what is that one step deeper like that we've seen that we'll see in this voices together i think one of the aspects of the collection that i'm really excited about and i think i I can get in trouble for saying i'm excited about all of it which is true (laughs) but one of the aspects of the collection that i'm really excited about is the way that we represent Um, music from different cultures and different styles. Um, Our Mennonite worship is so complicated. It's so nuanced. It's so diverse. Um, It is not one size fits all. We're not all doing the same thing. We're not all singing the same songs from the collection. Um, And so representing music in other languages in a really a more respectful way or or a respectful way, um, just based on knowledge that we've gained over the last 30 years. Um, so that one of the things that's exciting in Voices Together is it puts the the language a song was originally written in first instead of always putting English first. And that's just a way for us to acknowledge where the song came from and that we are kind of borrowing the song um, or, um, yeah, changes in how we refer to God, more complex feminine imagery for God. Um, uh, more female composers is one aspect that I'm really excited about and female text writers. So just a different lens of justice. And justice is a huge part of the 1992 collection too. And so no critique of that in any way, just looking at what we've done over the 30, last 30 years and applying that to this collection too. Do you also think that there's a bit of a, I don't know if it's a danger, but do, do you have a bit of a hesitation for communities like mine that that would still be singing from like the red hymnal <laughs> you know from the old one I mean, we just recently got the blue uh hymnal and i don't think it's going to be a while till we get voices together that's just our pattern uh, and i'm feeling like oh are we now behind where the rest of the church is going Right. And that's, yeah, that's a great question. And no, you're not behind. I mean, hymnals are, are, I I put them on a, you know, I think they are very important, but they are not our whole experience of worship. And I would never want to suggest um, that a community that wasn't worshiping with either the current hymnal or a hymnal at all was in some way not fulfilling what Mennonite worship could be. And part of that, I think, is community, you know, this Voices Together is designed for communities that worship in English. Um, So a Mennonite community that's worshiping in another language, absolutely 100% true and authentic and fulfilled Mennonite worship. Or a community that sings only contemporary worship and isn't fulfilled by the 35 contemporary worship songs of Voices Together. They are are authentically worshiping in a Mennonite way. Um, And so I think it's, it's also about, you know, one of the dynamics we were aware of is um, if you move too fast, you lose people, right? And so you can't rush people into a transition and a hymnal is a big transition. And so if it's not the right time for your community, then you have to listen to that, I think. Um, because, because we want people to feel welcomed and, and like Voices Together is a hospitable experience for them. And, and you can't force that, I think. Um, 
But at the same time, we tried really hard not to change all of the words that were beloved for people or not to lose melodies that hold just like a special place in people's hearts. And so I do hope too that folks who adopt Voices Together will also feel like it is, it is welcoming for them and that they see what they want to see on some of the pages. I am curious, I did get to witness witness, engage in one of Annalie's little sessions she did with churches, like about the new hymnal. And I myself was quite shocked about how kind of tense it got right away when talking about, you know, I think a lot of people's first questions when the new hymnal got announced is, well, what's going to be in it? And what are you going to take out? And it just got really tense. And so I'm curious, like music and worship is obviously precious to each person. And then on a bigger level, each congregation has their own culture of worship. And so what tensions and conflicts did you come across when you're creating this book? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, one of the things I find helpful to remember as we think about tensions and conflicts is that the tensions that we experienced are similar to what the 1992 committee experienced and the 1969 committee experienced. They're also similar to the tensions that our um, siblings from the Presbyterian denomination experienced when they did their um, hymnal or, um, you know, any other any other denomination that's worked with a new hymnal. Um, and so remembering that is always helpful for me in, in realizing that you know, the tensions and conflicts that happen in Voices Together are pretty normal. It's pretty healthy. It means that we care. Um, and that that was really helpful for me anytime um, any kind of tensions arose. This is this is an expression of care for our worship. Um, so text changes was a pretty significant one. Um, and again, that that is happened in 1992 too. Like it's very predictable that text changes are hard, um, but really important and really meaningful. And, and depending on the person in the community, they'll, they'll receive text changes in a different way. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think maybe the example you were talking about, Carrie, was around a conversation of changes from this is uh, my father's world to this is God's wondrous world. And so pursuing gender neutral language for God um, in that hymn, but it, it's a beloved hymn. It's a heart song for a lot of people. Um, and so the change to that is, it can be hard. And so it's, it's been interesting to see people who received it so well, like tears because they felt seen because that new text was so um, profound for them and tears for people who are frustrated because they, they love the old one. And, and I always think too, if you love, this is my father's world, you can keep singing it. Like there's no rule that you have to burn your blue hymnals and never sing that again. You can keep singing those words you love. Um, and as we move forward, we're going to change them, but that doesn't mean you have to, you have to, you know, digest it all at once, like take your time and, and hold on to things that are important to you. Um, another one that was hard for people is the inclusion of contemporary worship music, um, which is is one of my babies in the project. I'm really, really excited about the contemporary worship music in it, but it is um, it is a new musical idiom for some people and especially for folks who are used to reading music and are really comfortable with the kind of, to use musical language, like quarter notes and half notes and, and kind of predictable musical rhythms that are in hymnal worship book, uh, to suddenly see all the syncopation and all these dotted notes can be um, overwhelming. And that's what we see a lot of in contemporary worship music. And so um, people just need a moment to, you know, bend their heads around it. And especially with contemporary worship music, I always think 
um, well, not just me, it's, it, it's supposed to be learned orally. And so listen to it, um, you know, listen to recordings of contemporary worship songs and then hear them by ear and that'll be a more pleasant experience. But all of that stuff, it, it, it's hard for people to process. I mean, these are emotional books, right? We remember the song we sang at our baptism. We remember the song we sang at our, you know, grandmother's bedside as she was dying. We remember these songs and we carry them with us. And so any change to that is, is understandably emotional. Yeah, I was just going to say just that, Annalie. I mean, it's I like, I like the way that Carrie worded it in her question about how music and worship is precious to people, and it really is. I mean, and so I think that the way you've just described it does justice to that. Like, we, we anchor so much of our, um, so much emotional weight into not only our, 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 our hymns and our songs, but in scripture. All attentions you're describing in, in a new hymnal, I've heard from people who are involved in new translations of the Bible, right? I mean, it's, you're messing with, with words that, that are anchors for people in many ways. Um, but I, I just wanted to affirm something that I've heard in my own congregation already. We only got these on, I guess, Friday, and we already used them in a service last Sunday. Um, not songs, but some worship resources. Um, but some people are thrilled that you you now have chords over top of the over over top of the music music. I, I'm a musical idiot. I'm sorry. So um, I, I'm not a musician. But over top of the what is it called? The treble clef and the bass clef, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So so well done on that. I think a lot of people who are, who are at home in both worlds of contemporary worship and more traditional hymns, I think you've, you've struck a really nice balance there. And people really, in my congregation at least, are thrilled to see chords above the above the, the music. Totally. I am direct Ontario Midnight Music Camp. And so I've done a lot of work on kind of Midnight Music and worship with youth. And we always mark marked up our hymnals so much because we had these campers who wanted to sing four-part hymns but lead them from the guitar which is so incredible absolutely want to foster that but you need you need guitar chords for that um or or people who want to lead without reading notes or so many different ways that that's helpful so i'm so glad to hear that that was well received by your community i'm i'm very excited about that too yeah someone's still waiting for their purple hymnal to arrive in the mail i'm uh, i'm pretty stoked to hear about all of these things I'm curious, you've noted like a bunch of changes or like changes things we'll notice or see in the new hymnal, but is there anything else like you'd be excited to tell people about any changes that people can expect when they finally get their hymnal in the mail and, and open it up? Absolutely. Uh, I have one in particular that I want to highlight, but before I do, and I kind of meant to say this before, um, when we do work promoting the new hymnal or in the last couple of years as we've had samplers and we've done work with communities, we highlight what's new um, because it's boring to highlight what's the same. We know it's the same. We're highlighting what's new. And so I think it's always helpful to just remember that, um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're like, wow, there is a lot going on that's new. I'm not talking about what's the same. There is so much that is the same and that will that will feel familiar to folks. Um, and so I think it's important to remember that too, as we talk about all the newness that's so exciting. Um, it's not all new. 50% of it is the same. Lots of the words are the same. Lots of the melodies are the same. And so um, just to kind of highlight that as well, I think that's always important. Uh, one of the additions that I'm really, really excited about um, is visual art. So this is very much new territory for Mennonite um, hymnals, but visual art is such an important, yeah, artistic and spiritual expression. And so we worked with 12 artists and have 12 works of art throughout the hymnal. Um, and so it's very, very fun to see those in there. And we, one of the practices that I like to lead with those that we have included in the worship leader edition is Visio Divina, which is a way of kind of um, praying and reflecting through visual art. And so I'm excited for communities to be able to experience that together. Um, but I also think as a little kid in church, how much fun I would have had 
flipping through a hymnal that had art in it, like that's that's a fun thing too. So um, that is definitely one of the one of the new aspects of Voices Together that I'm really excited about. So I'm curious, Annalie, this is getting a little more in depth, um, but throughout the creation of Voices Together, obviously some songs, some resources have been taken out because you know they're just not speaking to us anymore. Like I'm looking at like um, Women of the Night you know, kind of a hymnal that we kind of like laughed about and didn't sing anymore in church. But there are other ones that I think people may have liked to have seen, um, but got taken out because the writer or the composer or the text writer, you know, like committed some serious violations in the church. And so, yeah, if you can give us some insight into like, what is that like? How can we look at what Voices Together has done with that? And how can we as a church move forward with like, looking at how to deal with materials that people who have created serious violations? Yeah, that's such an important question. And it's, it's, um, it's a difficult process to um, undergo. And it, it's, it doesn't always feel straightforward. Um, so um, yeah, we took out five pieces by David Haas this summer, um, pretty late stage in our, in our process, um, as, as um, information came to light about sexual abuse that he had committed. Um, throughout his career. Um, and so we put together a document called Show Strength, which helps. Um, so it was a few people from the Voices Together Committee and also some outside consultants, including someone from Into Account, which um, dealt really specifically with the David Haas case, um, just helping people think through and work through this situation, because unfortunately, we knew this would not be the last time this came up. Um, as we continue to, you know, gain information about about these kinds of cases, we continue to need to work through this this process. So, um, on the Voices Together website, um, you can access Show Strength, which is a really important resource. And I, resource, and I really encourage um, communities to look through it so that you have a sense of of how to kind of handle this really complicated and and um, sad situation. Um, so, the kind of two things that are my takeaways from um, that the process of helping to write in um, Show Strength, but also from our our voices together decision-making process. Um, the first one is to take space. Um, I think it's really important not to continue to use a resource actively when when um, something comes up that, that questions its validity or um, importance in worship. And so don't use it for a little while. Take some time off. Um, continue to... Um, worship together and find other resources but it's it's really hard to think clearly in the aftermath of of um, something being revealed um, especially something as hard as sexual abuse and so um, just take take time off don't continue to keep going forward until you have a clear decision made um, and you don't want to continue to do damage and so the best way to do that is just to to press pause on using a resource um, and then the next thing to do is listen to survivors what are survivors saying how would they how are they receiving this resource? What are the complexities of it? What are they advocating for? Um, are there survivors in your community that you could bring into a conversation about using a resource? Um, if not, who are outside consultants who could speak into this? Um, and so and so between both of those things, it's just about listening to others and not moving forward until you have a clear path. And if survivors are, are able to lead a process of reclaiming a resource, then that can be beautiful and something your community can participate in. Um, but don't continue to use a resource and claim it without, without really taking time to um, process and listen to how survivors would guide you. Mm. You know, I, I'm sure I heard this or not heard, read this in the Canadian Mennonite. And you've probably heard comments like this, too, 
of people who would push back on that, right? And say, oh, but you know, King David, what he did to Bathsheba and Uriah, and we're still using the Psalms and, and that kind of thing. And and I'm pretty sure that those comments come from people who were not victims, but for whom those songs were very meaningful. And, and they're like now being told, oh, we can't sing them. You know, how would how do you respond to, to people in our churches who might have those kinds of comments? Absolutely. Well, it's, it is, um, it is so complicated and there are so many nuances of it. One of the, um, so many complexities, one of them is whether someone is living or dead. Um, and so that is one, one, um, one factor in considering things. But the other thing, um, uh, to consider is that if we had included, say the material of David Haas and voices together, he would have gotten royalties, um, and it would have, it would have financially been beneficial to him. And so um, one of the factors of our decision is saying we don't want to financially support support him and his career given all of what's going on right now. Um, and so uh, King David is not receiving royalties from Voices Together as far as I know. <laughs> um, and so, so that, I mean, that's one aspect of it is looking at kind of the industry side of things or the, the publication and copyright side of things and saying, who are we, who are we, whose voices are we um, supporting financially through including material and Voices Together? Um, and so that's, that's one specific um, response to that kind of, um, of query. I don't want to belabor this point, but uh, I've, I've had people in my congregation also um, who who really love at least one of his songs. I think it's I Will Come to You in the Silence. Is that it? I think, is that him? Yeah. Um, and and even even as a pastor, I mean, I, I, I'm giving people language to to encounter God, hopefully, on a somewhat regular basis. And I'm a sinner. And this is what I hear from other pastors, too. And if... Uh, does what we say is what we say invalidated by our by our behavior? Um, that's a big question. <laughs> it's theological. It's um, there's financial components to it, as you say. But I've had a lot of conversations with people in our church that really wrestle with this. Like, what do we do with the fact that all of our hymns and all of our our resources are produced by sinners? Um, it, are we going to get into the, the get into the habit of kind of evaluating which ones are the worst sins and boy oh boy the slopes get pretty slippery really quickly but all this is maybe just a way of elaborating on what you say about how, how complicated it really is but it is a live issue in our church and people are really wondering about it and um i don't know yeah it is it's totally complicated and it, i think it's something um you know as much as we made the decision to remove pieces and voices together and i stand by that decision um, people need to own it, right? Communities need to work through it for themselves. Um, and so I think, again, that shows strength resource on Voices Together, um, hymnal.org, uh, is one, it's just a helpful conversation place and it, it kind of is formulated in a Q&A um, format. And so that's really helpful for folks too, to just kind of, kind of work through that. I think specifically, I will come to you in the silence. It's, you know, um, if people are really interested in diving into the nuances, which we likely won't do now, but the the implications of how um, the specific abuse that David Haas perpetuated might be reflected um, in some of the lyrics of some of his songs. Um, and when you get into nuances like that, it brings things to a different level as well. Um, and so for me, that song, I cannot hear anymore now that I've read the reports of what, what was done um, by him. Uh, and so it's one of those things where awareness is so key. Um, 
to being able to understand the complete picture more fully. But I mean, I think too, it's, I, I, I am, I am glad that folks are wrestling with it because I don't want us to just accept an answer and not talk about it. We need to talk about this. We need to work through it. Um, and so, so any, any way that that conversation can happen is important as long as survivors feel safe and heard and their voices are centered. I think in a way, like it's a really beautiful, like for me personally, a really beautiful thing that Voices Together has done by taking that out because it, it shows like a stance, um, like a solidarity that we as a church are willing to sacrifice these beloved songs um, to stand with survivors and to say like, hey, like we don't want you to be in one of our worship services and have to have that song come on um, and that's triggering for you. Like, I think that's, it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's hard, right? That's what we're saying. It was really hard to lose those songs, but I think what it can stand for could be really beautiful. The other thing that I love just to bounce off that, Carrie, um, is elevating other voices. Who, who, what women are writing songs that speak to these pastoral needs? What people of color could we elevate? Whose voices can we elevate instead? Um, and so... Uh, there's a really good document. I keep pointing to VoicesTogether.org. I promise I'm not paid to. Uh, VoicesTogetherHymnal.org. Um, and uh, one uh, document called, If You Like This, You Might Like This. And so um, looking at kind of tone and theology and musical idiom, and there's just so many amazing resources um, that can be used instead. And so it's exciting to try to elevate other voices as well. I'm curious, like, I mean, we've gone and so, heard so much about this project and there's so much more that we haven't heard. But I'm curious, like, how have you seen God move throughout this project? Um, yeah, that's a really, that's a really great question. There have been, um, one of the ways is the, the really, um, important voices from beyond our committee that have spoken into this process. Um, we've been blessed with some really, really phenomenal, um, connections with folks who aren't on the committee, but can speak to certain areas like African-American congregational song or, um, indigenous communities music and those kinds of things um or like insight on having an app even you know there's a number of consulting groups and outside consultants who have just been so so supportive and so um hearing their voices has been has been when we, we've we've kind of heard god um and we've been really 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 blessed with those strong connections um uh, the permissions process was a lot of praying, <laughs> um, and there are things that were losses from that that process. But there were also, um, you know, specifically from the contemporary worship lens, because that's one of the areas I was tracking more closely. We got almost everything we asked for permissions wise. It was a really smooth process, and so that felt that felt really um, affirming. And and that was I think God was working in that, especially one song. You know, um, there's a song "You Are Exalted." Uh, in Voices Together by Twyla Paris. It's an amazing song. It's awesome. I love it. Um, but it was originally He is Exalted. And so we asked to change the pervasive He's all the way through. Like it was a significant text overhaul. Um, and we almost kind of, it wasn't a joke, but like we were like, we're not getting this text change. Like contemporary worship music, it is hard to get text changes. Um, and so we asked for it, but I mean, I personally was not expecting that we'd get it. And then we got it and it was just so exciting. And I'm so excited for this amazing melody and important text to be, to be um, in language that affirms, uh, you know, fits with our collection. And so um, that was, that was really exciting. And then I think also just relationships with each other that, you know, I think, I think um, the 1992 process was hard in a lot of ways um, and, 
and we all went in knowing that there was the possibility for kind of the interpersonal relationship side of things to be hard and it wasn't um and that just felt like god was in that with us and walking with us and that was really really beautiful and with your um ontario mennonite music camp hat on you're working with one of the most awesome groups in our whole church the youth and like is there more we can be doing for them in worship? Are we, are we listening to them enough in worship? Where do they want to see it go? Uh, yeah. Just any thoughts around that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, at Ontario Midnight Music Camp, we do a lot of um, mentoring song leadership with youth. Midnight, I mean, a lot of people, I think, assume this is the norm, but not all denominations or churches have someone like conducting song leading at the front. Um, that's that's pretty abnormal, um, but it's a really interesting and, and cool thing that Mennonites do. And so we do a lot of that with our our um, OMMC campers, and they're amazing at it, and they love it. And so I think one of my takeaways always from camp is like, our youth are way more capable than we give them credit for and more interested in this than we give them credit for. Some of the most thought-provoking conversations around worship I've had have been with youth at OMMC. Um, and so I think it's just like bring youth into the conversation around implementing a hymnal, um, help have them kind of go through and figure out what songs we want to start, start by learning, um, you know, pair them with someone who can, can teach them how to song lead or let the youth teach someone else how to song lead. Like, um, they, they just have ideas, um, and are passionate about worship. And so I think, I think any opportunity to just kind of, um, have them in leadership, we would not regret because their voices are so important as you, as you say, Carrie, um, so yeah, definitely, definitely um, love watching our youth adopt this hymnal. And I think they are going to be key leaders in its implementation. This is their hymnal now. And so um, making sure that making sure that it feels it feels like home to them. That's true. There'll be a point when this generation like doesn't even, you know, the blue one is that one in the box in the dusty basement that we yeah. are like, why haven't we recycled this? You know, so <laughs> I mean, not to, you know, um, yeah, the importance of blue hymnal, but that that's going to be it for them one day. Similar to us with the red one, except Moses's church, who only recently got rid of it. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, it's it's not. We didn't get rid of it. It's still in the pew. <laughs> we just got the <laughs> we got the the red one, the blue one, and the the sing the journey. You know, just pick and choose. <laughs> but Moses's church will be singing out of these new books by twenty fifty. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hopefully, they're still in print. You have to buy them secondhand. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then just lastly, it's been said, you know, that this is possibly the last physical hymnal, you know, that the Mennonites will make. Um, and as a non-musical person who hasn't like divin and dove into the world of like hymnals, what's that about? So it's actually also been said that this is the last hymnal anyone will make. Um, hymnals are, yeah, expensive. Um, we saved a lot of costs in this one by relying on volunteer work, um, but they are, they're really expensive. There's a lot of, um, there are a lot of costs that go into making a hymnal. So I think that's part of it, but also um, we, um, our music is changing quickly and we have access to so much new music that speaks to new themes. And so folks want to include that in their worship. And so people are relying on material from CCLI or One License that um, is new and emerging um, in a different way. Um, and people are singing with projectors and don't necessarily, you know, they, there are programs that really help put up lyrics for songs um, so they don't need a hymnal. 
um, you know, a number of things. There's different churches have multiple services and one of them is contemporary, one of them is traditional and doesn't make financial sense. Um, so, but, but it's not just Mennonites. It's, it's all denominations are kind of saying this is probably the last one. And it's not to say there wouldn't be more supplements, um, or really cool ideas for online resources. Um, but, uh, but that, that's, that's what's being said. Now that said, uh, I know some folks who were thinking even this hymnal shouldn't be made. Like even at this point, we don't have enough buy-in on it. And we got so many more sales um, than we were expecting. And so I wouldn't put, put it past Mennonites to pull through with another hymnal in a few years. But um, but no, it, it's just our language of worship is changing. And I think that's really beautiful because it makes room for new things to be born. And so I'm excited to see what that is, whether that's more supplements and hymnals or whether that's something new. Well, again, like, thanks for your amazing good work and to the whole committee, like what an incredible endeavor that you now are seeing, not quite the end, but wrapping up. That's really beautiful. What a pleasure it has been to talk with Annalie, not only about this new hymnal, but also just about worship and music within the church. If you want to connect more uh, with Annalie and see some of the things she's working on, you could find her on Facebook and on Twitter. You could also connect with her through the Anabaptist Worship Network. They have a Facebook group, or you could also visit their website at anabaptistworship.net. If you want to find out more about the new Voices Together hymnal, visit voicestogetherhymnal.org. Now, before we get into more uh, discussion about what Annalie has been talking about, we want to give away a copy of this new hymnal to one of our listeners, as well as a Voices Together limited edition face mask. Special thanks to Harold Press and the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center for sponsoring this giveaway. All you have to do to be entered to win is to like our Facebook page at the Menocast. That's right, just like that page and you will automatically be entered to win a copy of the Voices Together hymnal as well as the special Voices Together mask. Now, if you don't know, Harold Press is the publishing arm of Meno Media, and of course, Meno Media is the group that has put out this new Voices Together hymnal. They put out great new resources all the time, and if you go to the Herald Press website, heraldpress.com, you can see all the different resources that are out and that are coming out very soon. And of course, we want to give a shout out to the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center. If you're looking for Anabaptist resources or just Christian resources, visit their website at commonword.ca. There are so many great resources that you can buy, but also borrow through the Common Word website. If you are a member of Mennonite Church Canada, Canadian Mennonite University, or the Manitoba Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches, you can borrow items at no cost. But here's the other thing. If you reside in Canada and are not a part of those groups, you can still become a member of Common Word for a small annual fee of $30, which will give you access to all loan resources, also free shippings of loans to anywhere in Canada both ways. So if you are looking for resources, check out Common Word. Uh, commonword.ca or on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University. They're always eager to help you connect with resources. So Anna Lee was with us and she touched a little bit on the hymnal as a theological book. And now Moses and Ryan is two theological people. Like, yeah, how do you experience that? What, like, what does it mean when someone says the hymnal is a theological book? 
I, I don't think I've thought of it that way until recently. I actually had a conversation with uh, Daryl Neustetter-Barg, who was also on the hymnal committee, and he, he started talking about our confession of faith and comparing the confession of faith with the hymnal. And how often do we open up the confession of faith as a church and, you know, dive into it, read from it? You know, maybe when we're doing baptism membership classes, maybe if we're like doing some kind of a series on it. But other than that, we, we barely touch it. But we are always in the hymnals. And, and what we say about God, about community, about each other, it's all in there. And, and so it really does make sense to me now that the way we curate a hymnal says something about what we believe theologically. Yeah, it's this fine line. I think I think most of us would say that we want our our our, our hymns and the songs we sing to be accurate theological reflections of what we believe. But what does that even mean when you're talking about a diverse group of people, like to accurately reflect what who believes? This part of the congregation, that part of the. I mean, we we obviously believe there's a central core to it, but. Um, and, and and honestly, there are some songs that we include mostly because we like the tune, and um, and and we're not we're not willing to give up that emotional immediacy that I spoke about earlier. Um, that that speaks to us, even if we do still sort of cringe at some of the theology. Like I was thinking about, I don't even really like the tune of this song, but I've long been irritated by the song "Trust and Obey." Um, even when I was a kid, <laughs> I, I I couldn't stand this song because it talked about not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear, as long as we trust and obey. And I'm like. Who is this describing? Like, what, 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 what universe <laughs> are they me. living in? And, and I don't even know if that one made it into the new one, or if he was even the old one. To be honest, that shows you how ignorant I am about it. But it's just one example of. I think some people have a deep emotional connection to the tune, maybe of of this song or other songs, and we're willing to let some of the theology slide because we're because of that. It, it calls us back to childhood or pleasant memories, and so I think that when it comes to theology and music, we're always doing this dance as 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 larger gatherings where we're making little trade-offs here and there for, for different things that we have value, that we find value in. That's such a good point. Yeah, like, I, I would have never said that the hymnal was a theological book, but when Annalise said that and I explained it, I was like, I have been thinking about it as a theological book, or we need to because it's dangerous not to, because it does express, like, we are singing those words and saying those words. And so it's important that we can believe them, that we can express them to others, and that it is a more a somewhat authentic portrayal of our relationship with God. And then when I think about it like that, I'm like, yes, it needed updating, unfortunately. Like you pointed out, I think Trust and Obey was in the blue, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I can think of some other ones. What's the one? Like sinking down under God's something frown or crown or it's like very depressing, <laughs> but like has like an awesome to emotional tune. And so I love that they, you know, took some tunes that we like and paired it with new wording or edited it. And then and now we can like reclaim those songs and tunes and words. I think that's so cool. Ryan, um, I have good news for you. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, when we walk with the Lord is in voices together. Oh, great. Well, I'll, I'll make sure never to see it. 570. <laughs> Lucky you. Uh, and, and get this, there are guitar chords on it too, so really? you can even play along with your guitar. Well, you know, even as I as I poke fun at that song, I'm I'm well aware that there may be someone even in my own church who, again, yeah. I'll be cringing along with it. And for them, it might be a lifeline at that given moment. Um, you know, maybe they're going through some crushing grief at the moment, and this is like a... a 
a hope for them that um, that trusting and obeying that this is this is the only way forward. And and so I, I really want to be careful that just because I can can find all kinds of reasons to be annoyed with some lyric, um, that doesn't preclude the fact that God can and does speak through all kinds of different um, different different means. I think, Ryan, what you're getting at is the heart of kind of what Annalie talked a little bit about, you know, labor pains and the process. And I think you're getting exactly that we need to give and take on big projects like this and, and anything in the church, right? It doesn't serve me, but does it serve someone else or does it serve many other people? And then, yes, maybe it needs to stay in some form. Um, I mean, that's all about community, mm-hmm. right? Is like not always looking yep. at my own needs, but like whoever else is out Absolutely. there. Hey, Carrie and Ryan, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to know from both of you, um, you know, what is the one song that would stick out to you uh, as a song that has been meaningful for you in your faith journey or just one that you love to sing together with the church? One of my favorite hymns that I feel like always spoke to me was um, Here I Am, Lord. When we would get baptized at our church, we always had an opportunity to get to choose a hymn, you know, for the service. It was kind of a big deal. You get to choose a meek one. And like a lot of people, a lot of the young people would choose Here I Am, Lord. Um, I don't know, like theologically now, I'm like trying to scan the lyrics in my brain. I'm like, oh, I don't know what it says. But this idea of serving, I think it gets to servitude. But I remember one of the, someone being like, you know, that's like a really powerful song. Are you sure that you want to offer yourself up to God like that? Like, I don't know. And then I think a bunch of our youth like stopped choosing it for our baptism services because the person was just like, you know, that's like a pretty big commitment. It's like, well, we are getting baptized, aren't we? Like, isn't that the same thing to sing Here I Am, Lord, get baptized? So I still love that one deeply, but I feel cautious of it. Yeah, interesting. I, I... I I've liked that song a lot uh, as well. The song that came to me um, uh, is "Be Thou My Vision." That that would be uh... like my probably one of my top top songs, and it's actually a s- song that we sang at our wedding as well, and so it's ha- holds that significance for us. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's that would be a go to for me. Yeah, for me. I mean, I, I feel I feel terrible saying this, but it's not even a song that's in our hymnal. Um, that's it's, okay. Uh, You're not going to be kicked out of the group. That's good. Nah, not uh, yet. Good. Um, it's actually a song that we I first learned in chapel at Regent College, um, and it's called "Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus," and it's um, it's like this old I think it's a Irish or English tune. It's really hard to find actually, but I've introduced it in our church here, and it's become something of a favorite here. Um, I also do love "Be Thou My Vision," Moses. It's one of those songs that's mm. that whenever it shows up in our, our worship services, it's I I, I smile because I know it's going to be a yeah. it's going to be a, a good moment in the service for sure. Well, it's been great to hear about our um, favorite songs, our favorite hymns, and I'm sure as the day goes through, we'll think of more and more um, and crack open those voices together hymnals so that we can find new favorites and add them to kind of our our repertoire. So it's been great to chat. It's been great to learn about music i'm sure at some point in the future of our podcast we'll talk about worship and music again thanks for listening to the menocast you can find us at themenocast.com listen to the episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find podcasts leave us a review if you liked what you heard and join us on facebook twitter and instagram at the menocast we would love to hear from you and if you have comments questions or suggestions you can contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com 
Special thanks to Nick Duick for creating our music and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and Mennonite Church Eastern Canada for providing us with a seed grant to get this project going. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts Moses Felko and Ryan Duick for the rich conversation. I'm Carrie. Until next time.